0: Hello, college football fans, welcome to episode 134 of College Football Throwdown. I'm your co-host, Alex Schmitz, and today I'm joined, as always, by my dad, Peter Schmitz. Hello, college football fans and Husker fans. Hello, everybody. Uh, we are here today to... Talk about our Nebraska Cornhuskers as per usual. You know, father-son duo here to talk about college football by college football fans for college football fans. And today, there we'll, you go. Yeah, today we'll be talking about Nebraska's uh, loss to Purdue, as well as some of the big games from Week Seven of college football, including the big upset of Alabama uh, that everyone's been chat- chatting about. And we'll also preview what's coming up in Week Eight, even though uh, Nebraska has a bye week this weekend. It sounds good, and we'll 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 uh, touch on a couple of other subjects, both nationally and
1: relative to Nebraska.
0: Yep. Uh, but before we dive into all that, we got to stick with our tradition and open up a cold beverage. Uh, yes. This week I have one of those, my uh, Kona Brewing Company uh, Longboard Island Lagers. Wow.
1: Wow. Now is that a is that a, a darker beer? That's more like an amber, or is that? Uh I still a, 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 a you know kind of a yellowish looking beer when you pour it in a glass.
0: I mean I, I think it's lo- uh it's a bit uh, uh lighter. Uh they have a different one okay. that's like their amber ale.
1: Okay. Yep. Okay. Well, wow. I don't know that I've had that one. So enjoy. I am drinking a Labatt Blue from the Canadian country above us here, one of their f- best pilsners that I really enjoy. So Grabbed a few of those before we left Michigan. <laughs>
0: well, that's one of my favorites. Here we
1: go. I know it's one of your favorites. Okay. Here we go. There's
0: a little echo here. There we go. All right. Um. So we'll be starting things off by, of course, diving into the uh, Nebraska game. Uh, and as usual, we gave predictions on the previous podcast. Uh, both of us were on the mindset that uh, Purdue was definitely the more talented team than us, uh, given the struggles that our offense had had in the previous week. Um, We were being a bit pessimistic. So uh, I predicted that Purdue would win 24 to 10, whereas you predicted that Purdue would win uh, 45 to 10. Um, And the actual score obviously ended up being uh, closer than either of us expected, um, even though it was still a loss of 43 to 37 um so it is always frustrating for us nebraska fans we've had so many of these uh one score losses right under both scott frost and mike riley um so it's frustrating in games like these where you know just one or two things had gone differently we could have won um and you know uh we had uh, some great uh, big plays on the offensive side of the ball. And particularly with uh, Trey Palmer who had a historic day. Um, But the defense really uh, was struggling to keep up with what Purdue was throwing at them. And it just kind of became a bit of a score fest at a certain point. It did.
1: Yeah. That second half, it's like uh, uh, every time they touched the ball, people were scoring. Um, which that was probably the surprise and maybe one of the disappointments to me about the game was I actually felt like our defense might have a chance to slow Purdue down a little bit, I, I, you know, because our defense had been playing quite well. You know, the previous two weeks we had not allowed a second-half score and, and, and that sort of thing. So I felt like uh, I know they were playing with great effort, and I thought, well, uh, you know, Purdue, um, although they have a very good offense— didn't necessarily have uh, what people would have described as a great running game per se uh, until of course they faced us and then they did. Uh, But uh, they also threw the ball exceedingly well as well. We couldn't stop them in any way it would seem, but, but uh, um, they couldn't stop us as it turned out either.
0: Right. Well, it it was definitely a, a difference in kind, even though both offenses were able to score, for example, if you look at like first downs, they had 38 first downs to our 15 uh, and had over 600 yards of total offense against us. Um, and once again, you look at time of possession, they had 43 minutes to our 17, uh, yeah, that, which is crazy, it, right? No. It is crazy, but that's because so many of our uh, big scoring drives were off of big pass plays. Right. And sometimes we would just score on that singular play, uh, which is great, obviously, you know, and uh, gets people excited and, you know, uh, can really help swing the momentum. But at the same time, you're, you're not giving your defense much time to recharge when you're having such quick drives. Right. And then they're back out there having to deal with the team that's been giving them problems.
1: Correct. you are exactly right.
0: Um,
1: Um, And and that was one of the things is that I, I don't know that we ever really got the chance to adjust. Like you say, take a breath. Uh, let's figure out how we're going to adjust. And uh, up, you know, in the previous two games, I felt like the defensive staff had done some a really good job of making adjustments at halftime. This time, not so much.
0: Right. Um, of course, one other big factor in the game was the uh, turnovers. Um, we had two interceptions while well, they had one. Um, and admittedly the one we got, right, was near the beginning of the game uh when they were about to score on us and we got a pick that saved basically saved a touchdown or at least a field goal from happening. So uh that was pretty good for us. Uh, but then uh Casey Thompson threw two really underthrown balls, uh, which both of which, if he had put a little bit more height on them, uh would have probably been completions. Like the, the receiver was open in both cases, uh, but you know, he just kind of uh, misjudged it. And uh, those were real momentum killers when they happened.
1: They were, they absolutely were. Um, I, and I mean, it was, it doesn't come down as a turnover, but I believe we did have a blocked. Oh, yes, Blocked kick. We did. So that, that was a, it had an impact on score as well. Um, but, uh, but let's, uh, talk about just one thing, you know, overall, well, a couple of things. First, I will say that, um, you know, I, I was proud of how the team, um, uh, you know, performed from the standpoint of effort. You know, I, I never saw them give up, you know, there, there were moments in that game where you could easily have seen, uh, you know, a Nebraska team, given what's transpired with the team this year, they could have just packed it in. Right. When, when, when the defense is giving up touchdowns, you know, they could have really just put their heads down and kind of lost their focus and, and the wheels could have come off and they didn't, right. They, they kept fighting and they kept fighting and they kept fighting. In fact, I would argue that, you know, late in the game, as badly as we'd played, we had them to a a fourth down at midfield. And if it wasn't for a, a horrendous no call, which I've sent you the video on, right. That was the, uh, I mean, that was just absolutely atrocious. Our guy literally got tackled, okay, in one of these uh, uh, rub route scheme bull crap things that, that uh, Purdue is well known for doing. Literally, the guy got hugged. You could see the arms of the, of the other wide receiver on the outside, and this, this ends, ended up being a scramble for a first down, right? Like a, a, a what, what, what would I say? It was a short run. Um, that ended up leading to a first down on a fourth down. If they don't get that, um, you know, we get the ball back with time and the possibility we're within one score of of scoring. Uh, maybe it was a third down. I, I'm not now. I'm not remembering.
0: Nope. No, no you, properly. You're right. It was it was fourth down. It was It was and a fourth down. Sh- it was fourth and short around midfield. And yeah, yeah. I, I guess we would have been. Uh, we would have been down only four like, points at the time, right? seven.
1: Okay, and, and, and there was like three and three and a half, almost four minutes left. So if that play gets called the way it should have been, and when it's that blatant, and the ref, there's, there's a ref right there. Now, I will concede that particular ref's job is to look at the offensive line play. Um, uh, there's another ref that should be looking at, at what's going on in the in – the, you know, down the field. Right. Um, but, but it was right there in front of him. I mean, <laughs> in his peripheral vision, you'd think he would have seen that this guy just literally got tackled and mugged. And, uh, but nope, no flag. Yeah. And, you know, I, I I know we harp on this probably in the podcast a little more than we should, but it, it sure does seem like Nebraska gets more than their average amount of Missed calls, you know, just flat out ignoring uh, reality that occurs uh, within, you know, the refereeing uh, within the Big Ten. It just it just blows me away how we continue to get on the short end.
0: Well, uh, one stat that I did like to see after you know the last two games have been high in penalties is that we only had four this game for 42 yards. They had two for 28. Um, yeah. So that was good to see. But on the other hand, it shows the the vast dichotomies in rec- in ref crews because in the previous yes. week uh, against Illinois, or I'm <laughs> yeah. sorry, not Illinois, um, Indiana, uh, not Indiana. Indi- no. Yeah. Yeah, Indiana. Indiana. Uh, that, yep. that, that staff was calling, uh, offensive offensive, pa- yeah, yeah. they're calling offensive pass interference on both sides, right and left. And whereas in this game, I saw, uh, both us and them definitely getting handsy, you know, on those pass plays, uh, and the refs weren't calling it. They were letting the boys play. And it's like, well, how do you coach these kids? If one staff will drill you for that and the other lets it happen. Right. Yep.
1: Well, I, I'm, I'm, I'm watching the Georgia Tech-Virginia game uh, in, on uh, silent or on mute right now, and that just happened. <laughs> I mean, this defensive back absolutely got there early, uh, uh, knocked the ball away, and now the, the other team's having to go for a field goal because that didn't get called. And he clearly was there before the ball. Yep. and he just hit the upright with the field goal. It was a short chip shot, and he missed it. Wow! <laughs> so they're going to get nothing out of that, right? And they were inside basically the fifteen yard line. Yeah. And uh, I'm sorry, that's a huge, huge play in that game, and they're just going to move on from it. You know, the announcers won't will harp on it, but but yet, you know, the, the way they call holding, you know, I, I, I don't know. It's just. Inexplicable how these referees. If we need more refs on the field to get more of these penalties called, so that the game can be played the way it's designed to be played, uh, that I would prefer that. I'm i I'm a, um, a purist, I guess, from that standpoint, and it frustrates me when you continue to see more and more of these failures well, on the part of the referee <laughs> crews.
0: I, I, I'm going to bring this up now because uh, so I don't forget it, but I believe it was the uh, Oklahoma State game uh, where they were playing against uh, TCU. There, Dude, was, yeah. there was a weird whole thing where uh, they went for a fourth down play and didn't get it, but the person who has the sticks on Fix, the field yes. – had it as third down third down and yeah. they, and the Oklahoma state coach like wasn't arguing about it or anything. Right. Cause it was obvious. Everybody had been counting. Like it was fourth down. They didn't get it. You know, there wasn't a controversy, but the ref still paused the game and it was a five, 10 minute thing before they figured it out. And everybody was just kind of like, what the heck are we doing here? Guys? <laughs> <laughs> it was, I mean, yep. it was bad. It was bad.
1: Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. It's, it's just, it, it just doesn't make sense to me. And with, with, with all the money that's being made by the leagues and all that sort of stuff, if they had to kick in an extra 10%, uh, or 15% so that they could add an additional crew member, you know, and get an additional guy on that field so that more of these, so more of the game could be called the way it was intended to be called, that the rules would be followed instead of just accepting that, um, um, you know, it's just part of the game that a lot, of these play, a lot of these penalties aren't going to get called because what happens, teams, if they know things aren't going to be called, they begin to teach techniques to hide those kinds of calls, right? If I know that I'm not going to get called for holding, I'm going to learn how to have my offensive lineman block in such a way that that doesn't happen, right? right. Uh, I, I'm, going to, I'm going to teach them effectively to cheat I'm going to teach them how to hold while blocking in a way that minimizes the risk of it beco- being called a, a, a holding penalty. And that's where we are today. And, and the same thing with how guys fake contact, whether it's a quarterback faking contact you know, at the end of a play to, to try to solicit a uh, roughing the passer, or whether it's you know, in wide receivers or defensive backs, you know, dramatizing the amount of contact they're experiencing, you know, uh,
0: in the secondary, right. That kind of crap to me drives me crazy. Well, but in this game, we got to take some advantage of that because you'll remember there was a late hit called on Thompson. And when you look at the replay, it really wasn't the guy kind of pushed him right after he threw the pass and Thompson fell flat down on his back. And he, he, he gets a uh, you know, mini Oscar for acting there, uh, which is something we've brought up in the past. Like, oh, why aren't we coaching our quarterbacks to do this if this is the way the game is being called? And so... Well,
1: absolutely. Exactly. And see, that's... But my point is, is that to me, I, uh, I want us to either have a, an additional ref that's in the booth that can review all these kinds of calls and, and with, with video evidence make the decision. They make the determination. That was a fake. This, this person that wasn't real contact because oftentimes on review, you can see it, right? Cause you can actually look at it and realize, okay, that guy's arm was fully extended. There's no way he could have had that much strength to cause that his, you know, this other guy's body to move the way it did. Right. I mean, it's really obvious on in many cases. Right. And so I, I would rather have a ref in a booth uh, with, uh, ex, you know, access to all the video capability and get more of these calls right. That's, that's, that's my point. I don't want to harp it any more than that, but it's just this is another game. Uh, Purdue was the better team, clearly. You just went through the stats. I mean, we were so lucky to even be hanging in there, and I, I, I'm proud of Nebraska and, and particularly Trey and, uh, and our quarterback uh, for hanging in there and continuing to fire and, and not giving up, right? I like right. that.
0: Yes. Um, so, well, speaking of that, uh, we definitely have to mention Trey Palmer, uh, cause he was basically the reason we were, uh, still competitive in the game. Cause they just couldn't stop him. Uh, he had seven receptions for 237 yards, which is a Nebraska single game record. Um, yes. and he was also, uh, on some of our kickoff returns, um, which we had, uh, five of for 111 yards, which is something I like to see too. Yes, Exactly. Exactly.
1: Well, and so, yeah, I mean, I love the fact that these guys are keep trying, you know, they keep playing
0: Mm -hmm. for sure. Um, So, of course, uh, we have a bye week this week, as I mentioned at the beginning Um, and the following week we play against Illinois, um, which is uh, another one of these very crucial games for us to kind of determine uh, Mickey Joseph's potential future with uh, the Nebraska football team. Uh, and an interesting thing is that Illinois also has a bye week. So it's not really an advantage. Both teams have that extra week to rest up and prepare for the game.
1: Right, exactly. And
0: that's a bummer because I feel like if
1: we, uh, if we had a bye week and they didn't, then maybe, maybe that might be something we could look to and say, all right, we're, we're, this is going to help us. Right. But, but the reality is, like you say, both teams have it. So uh, it's going to be a very interesting. I am i have a feeling they're going to have a lot of new stuff ready to, sh- to uh, unfold against us when we play them.
0: Yeah. Uh, however, we're going to hold on the prediction for that game until our next podcast when we're a little closer to the game itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the meantime... W- We did discuss briefly on the last podcast about this new uh, collective, you know, in this new world of NIL uh, that Nebraska was getting in on that as well. So I believe you had some more information on that.
1: Yes. So uh, Matt Davison, who has been the uh, the, uh, color commentator on our broadcast for many, many years now, well, many, many is probably overstating it for about probably eight or 10 years and has been an associate athletic director since the Scott Frost hiring. Um, And so he has been an integral part of the university's athletic department. And specifically he has been involved heavily in fundraising (laughs) being a past player, you know, of some renown and things of that nature. He has a a great contact list of, of some of the key donors to the university and to the Nebraska athletic department in general. And, uh, and, uh, and in fact, uh, the, a lot of indications that, he was heavily, heavily uh, involved in and in a key player in putting together the money that was raised for the new football and general athletic facilities that are being built currently. That are going to kind of get us back into the, to the mix with some of the top programs in the country in terms of our, our overall sports support facilities, right? And so he helped raise a significant amount of that hundred and fifty five or hundred and sixty million dollar facility so he's got some good um, fundraising chops and that sort of stuff and uh, he and another key player in the in the fundraising arm have both uh, resigned from their positions at the university to uh, take a position uh, with this new collective uh, to uh, build up and they're specifically targeting of course the, the revenue sports of football uh, and men's basketball, as well as women's volleyball, which at Nebraska, of course, is a, is a big time uh, sports program. One of the only um, women's volleyball programs that's, uh, that's already a uh, revenue generator. It's not, um, um, you know, a, an Olympic sport that requires money from the trough, so to speak of the athletic department. It actually makes money. So um, uh, those athletes are m- some of the most visible in the whole state. And, uh, and so this collective is, is you know, a, a big step for Nebraska in kind of keeping pace with some of the other schools that are also building some very organized, uh, NIL programs, um, that, uh, that they're going to be able to do that. And it, and he resigned immediately in the middle of the season, you know, from his role as, uh. As a as a as the color commentator and as an assistant AD, so he could immediately get to work on this, knowing that they've got a new football coach coming in. They wanted to already have some things rolling and in place that they could speak to uh, with uh, potential candidates.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. And then, like we said, in this NIL world, right, uh, you kind of have to. Uh, Get with the times or get left behind, right? And,
1: well, and it's going to be real interesting, Alex, because there's, there's a lot of people taking data, right? Everybody's taking note. And so there's two things, NIL and then the whole transfer portal thing, right? Everybody's making special notations about, okay, all these transfers, all this movement happened and they moved for NIL reasons. They moved, you know, through the portal, blah, blah, blah. How many teams really went aggressively after portal and did they have success? I mean, imagine Nebraska without Trey and without, uh, Thompson, mm-hmm. where would we be? Cause we were probably going to lose, uh, Adrian no matter what, because he was a fifth year, you know, so even before the transfer portal stuff happened, he was already a graduating kid with a year of eligibility. So he could have left as a graduate student in any case. Even before the new rules, right? And so, um, uh, uh, Nebraska would be a hurting unit right now if we didn't have that, right? So, so, and you think about now, right now on our offensive line, that Anthony is starting now at right tackle for us. He was one of them too. So, so, Nebraska would be in a, in a in a world of hurt and uh, probably be winless at this point if it wasn't for those guys. Right? right. So people are taking note of that. And, and it's going to be interesting to see, I, I think y- you might overreact if you just look at this year, but three or four years from now, after there's four years of data on that stuff, there will be some real solid trends. And I have a feeling that people who are being aggressive, uh, with NIL uh, structures like this uh, collective, uh, are going to end up being on the positive side of that
0: ledger. Yeah, no, I could definitely see that. Uh, I would have to look back at the timeline because I feel like Adrian didn't leave until after like we knew that Casey was coming and all that stuff, you know? No, it's, it was the reverse. It was the reverse. Yeah. He, yeah, he had announced
1: before. Uh, yep. We didn't, we didn't know at that point in time, we did not yet. We were already recruiting and there was lots of talk about, uh, Casey coming to, to Lincoln, um, as a transfer quarterback. Right. So, Our our coaching staff had already actively started going out and recruiting some portal depth um, at quarterback, but um, Adrian had not yet, um, or excuse me, Adrian had already made his decision before Casey did, or uh, Purdy.
0: Right. Although then we, we talked about uh, Texas A&M, right? You know, and how right. uh, they were the number one recruiting class this past year um, and have had kind of mixed results so far in the season. Well,
1: But, but again, that, that recruiting class can't be expected to be the backbone of that team this year. You know, that, that experiment right. and, and determination really is still a couple years away. The, their issues are more internal in terms of much like ours um, uh, you know, they got some, it appears some culture issues within their, you know, team that might need to be addressed. And that's, that's one of the challenges I think with this whole portal thing is how do you build a culture when, when, you know, the, the flow in and out of the program is so dramatic. Um, you know, there's not enough stability to really create a group of leaders and then establish an expectation, unless you're in Alabama or a, you know, a Clemson or an Ohio state where, yeah, you have a couple of guys come in and out, but the vast majority of the players who matter are in there for, you know, uh, the long haul, so to speak. And they're, they're part of the tradition. And, and because they have success on their side, another person come in can do nothing but respect it. If you're coming into a program that's struggling like a Nebraska, what, what, what reason do you have to respect what the older guys or the guys that have been there a while have to say, you guys are losers.
0: Right. Um, And one other uh, piece of news is that um, Isaiah Garcia Castaneda uh, transferred out of the program. Uh, He was one of our wide receivers, Um, and I know he didn't have uh, kind things to say about Mickey Joseph.
1: Well, specifically his dad uh, uh, took to Twitter and had some not so um, complimentary things to say about Mickey. And And that was in response to Mickey basically um, throwing um, a little shade at the the wide receiver who left, simply saying, "Hey, we couldn't give him what he wanted. He wanted he wanted to be a bigger part of the offense, and we couldn't do that, so um, he left." You know, and so he kind of threw a little shade at this kid, and so his dad kind of came to his defense, so to speak, and said, "Well, you know, uh, Mickey's kind of making it sound like he quit." on the team because it was he wasn't getting enough touches he wasn't getting the ball enough and but if you look at it he he was the kid that had the most yards and the most uh um you know uh, pass attempts thrown to him during the first game of the year uh, in Ireland um and then as things progressed from there on out he got fewer and fewer opportunities to where he wasn't getting any, he was no longer starting. He wasn't really in the rotation anymore. So something happened during the course of that time. And it was clear that that, that, um, you know, relationship had deteriorated. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's kind of
1: welcome to our new reality. Right. And that kid made a conscious decision. I've only, I played less than four games. So I still have a year of eligibility. I'm going to go somewhere where I can play.
0: Yeah, no, it, it's true, you know, and I, I, that's my guess is that it's mostly, uh, you know, he, something was going wrong in practice or Mickey, you know, didn't think he was all that and uh, the kid didn't appreciate that, so. Right, right. Well, and, and, and that's, see, that's the power that the, that
1: the athlete now has to make that decision. And that kind of me first mentality is going to make it very hard to build a championship culture. Right? If that happens at Alabama, they say good riddance to him immediately and they don't look back and they replace him with a guy that's just as good. Now, Nebraska, on the other hand, not in that situation. And a guy like that, you know, he hurt our depth. Him leaving hurt our depth. Now, granted, he hadn't played much in the, the, the more recent games, but our depth in that room was diminished because of him uh, leaving. And so he was important, but, but he wasn't willing to accept that, okay, I need to fight my way back, you know. Uh, and, and all the, the literally decades and decades gone by, Alex, since football, co- collegiate football has emerged as a, as a legitimate sport, I mean, that, that sticking around and hanging in there, and even though you didn't like what the coach was doing or you felt he was being unfair to you or whatever, you know, the, the number of stories of guys that felt that way initially but were talked into staying by their – teammates and their friends and stuff, and then, and then ended up becoming superstars. I mean, there's countless stories like that. And there's plenty of them where they stayed and, they ne- and nothing ever materialized. And usually that was because they just weren't that good, that there were other players that were just better than them on the team, right? Right. Uh, but but, but you, you stick it out was the theme. And the, the rules were kind of in place to make it hard for you to make that decision. So team came first. Now it's me, me, me. And NIL enhances that me, me, me mentality. And so now a coach is going to have to figure out how to play within uh, and organize and build his culture within the framework of that me first mentality while while still establishing the benefits of a team first mentality. Good luck on how you do that. Uh, And I think that's still a big unknown.
0: Just a funny anecdote. Um, I was listening to the Tennessee radio broadcast at a certain point uh, during the Tennessee Alabama game while I was driving. um, And I think one of the commercials was for uh, a a political candidate, you know, because election season is coming up. And it said, you know, it was delivered by a player from the Tennessee team. And I was like. Is you know, a college student's endorsement really going to be the, the winner on a political ad? <laughs> I couldn't help thinking that.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> well, uh, and, the, and the answer
1: is if, if he's a well-liked and respected player, then certainly some fans of that, uh, of that football program might very well be more inclined to vote for that guy because at least he's going to support my volunteer football players.
0: <laughs> right, right,
1: and that's important to me.
0: It may have been a like a proposal, you know, instead of a candidate. I don't quite remember, but it was something like right. that. Um, huh. The one other small piece of news is that there was actually a uh, a court case where uh, the USA Today said that the University of Nebraska had to disclose uh, the metrics mutually agreed to in Scott Frost's contract, and so uh, Trev Alberts did reveal that, and it was to uh, make a bowl game and win six games. So that was kind of the, that was the minimum standard. That was what had been set down by Trev to keep Scott around. Right.
1: Yep. And it's too bad that he had to share that. I didn't know that it was a a lawsuit that brought that out. Um, I thought that was just a, a, a choice that Trev made for some other reason. Uh, but that doesn't surprise me that that was the minimum standard. If he had gotten, I had said for a long time, if he got to a bowl game that, that he would be able to keep his job.
0: Yeah. Well, that's about what we like, what we were saying as well, like six, five, five, six wins was the minimum.
1: It didn't, it it doesn't surprise me, I guess it's disappointing that it was that low that you're going to keep a guy around and continue to pay him, you know, four or $5 million a year uh, to to be coaching a a 500 football team when the reality is is that next year given our schedule next year six wins this year unless some something magical happens would not lead to more than six wins next year just based on how our schedule shifts because our schedule gets a lot tougher uh, in the coming years so um, in terms of our crossovers I mean this year our crossovers from the other side of the, you know, the other division were Indiana and uh, Rutgers.
0: So we went. uh, And Michigan. um, And Michigan, right. So we're 2-0 right now. Right. Against that side of the division. Uh, Well, we'll not be so kind in future years, although with USC and UCLA coming into the Big Ten, those some of those are going to be kind of torn up as they figure out what the new uh, schedules are going to be.
1: But the thing that irritates me about that is we've been in the Big Ten for, you know, 10 years now, uh, a, a little more than 10 years. I think this is our 11th year. And, you know, we've had the bulk of these, these – uh, the, the first Legend and Leaders, uh, you know, division um, schedules were heavily uh, burdened on Nebraska with crossover games with the best teams from the opposite division, whether it was back then, you know, Wisconsin and Michigan – and Ohio state to where we've played Ohio state for six years in a row. No other West division team has, has done that or had to do that. Um, So, I mean, it's just one of those. And now here we're going to have another change and we may go away from divisions completely. And uh, you know that they're going to push the reset button on the TV contract and they're going to want to take advantage of the rabid, and large Nebraska fan base that that watches television and attends football games, and they're gonna they're gonna put us up against those other uh, um, big name blue blood traditional programs, whatever you wanna call them, um, uh, uh, way more than a lot of the other folks that are our old division mates, and it just frustrates the hell out of me because, you know, I, I think our I think our win-loss record would look a, look a lot different if we had been playing Iowa's schedule over the last six years. Right. Scott would still be our coach.
0: Well, I don't know if I go that far, but uh, I, I would, I, and that's not
1: necessarily a good thing, based on what we now know Scott was doing and the amount of effort Scott was putting in. But I'm just telling you, if he had won a few more games, he wouldn't have lost his job.
0: So, yeah, that's anyway, true. Um, side, side side thing. Yeah. Um and then some quick uh, national topics as we get into that now. Interestingly, uh, you know, we've been hearing talk that uh Texas and Oklahoma wanted to leave for the SEC earlier. Um they're scheduled to leave in uh 2025, but I think they wanted to leave in 2024. Um and it sounds like uh Fox is the group that's kind of blocking that from happening because they're part of uh the Big 12's media deal. Um and I guess uh they're uh they're not letting that happen ahead of schedule, um, which means that USC and UCLA probably will come to the Big Ten before Texas and Oklahoma go to the SEC. Yeah, and I
1: mean, the, all, all these contracts are, are so intertwined. And there's obviously some uh, vested interest for Fox to, number one, uh, you know, maximize whatever um, relationships and TV content they 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 currently have rights to because of the contracts with the big 12, but uh, it also doesn't hurt their situation. If the big 10 can pull off the coup of getting USC and UCLA uh, into um, the league and a new television contract on the roll uh, before the sec can, right. That's they're doing their, their, um, conference partner big 10 a, a favor by doing that so I, I understand why fox is doing that but that might come back to haunt them sometime in the future when they're trapped in an undesirable situation in a complex tv relationship right and they can't get out of it because espn is uh, is the unwilling participant. i mean what go, goes around comes around
0: kind of thing right, right? Yeah. Well, and speaking of that, um, there's some other news that apparently um, the Big 12's big media deal, I guess, was uh, scheduled to uh, expire after the Pac-12s. But now there's uh, talk and rumors that the Big 12 is uh, going to renegotiate that in the upcoming weeks, kind of get the jump on the Pac-12 in that way. because I think the Pac-12 was kind of, you know, feeling a little bit safer because the Big Ten, you know, Kevin Warren and the Big Ten has said that like he's not really interested in expanding further at this time. Uh, so it seems like you know the Big Ten wasn't going to poach any more Pac-12 teams, but now there's the possibility that the Big Twelve might do it, considering they've already brought in some new teams to fill in for Texas and Oklahoma, uh, and if they were able to get a more attractive uh, media deal uh, right now or you know in the near future, um, then they might be able to entice um, some pac 12 schools away uh, so that they aren't the uh, aren't the conference that collapses right
1: right exactly well and and do any of those teams out there in the pac 12 do they uh, make that decision before the big Ten acts because if if Washington and Stanford and Oregon and these teams that are often named as being desirable to add to the big 10, if that doesn't happen, does, does a Colorado, Arizona, Arizona state, Utah, um, do they make the decision to leave the pac 10 for the big 12 without Washington and Oregon? And, and would, why wouldn't the big twelve go after them right because those are the those are the bigger names, those are the the larger television audiences uh so I don't know. it's like the tumblers need to fall in the right order
0: <laughs> right, yeah, so we'll keep our eye on that, you know all the the conference politics kind of going on in the background here yeah
1: and i and I'm here to tell you when when any of these conference commissioners, whether it's uh you know Warren or not. As, oh, you know, we're not, we're going to stand pat for right now. Uh, you might as well believe the opposite of that. <laughs> so I'm
0: not, I'm not buying any of that crap. Uh, they're always looking. Fair enough. Um, so now diving into some of the. Hey, may, may, I,
1: may I mention one more thing? Oh. Today uh, was um, the college football playoff committee meeting. You um, know that group? Yep. They had a meeting today um and uh, so they did a press conference afterwards they did not make any final decisions or anything like that they weren't able to come to agreement um so time's kind of running out on them because you know they were trying to get it set up so that 2024 would be the first year of the new college football playoff they wouldn't wait till 2026 or whatever it is they were going to try to pull that forward but they weren't able to come to you know a mutual agreement for everyone um to, to pull that forward by two years so they're still working on it. They haven't given up on the idea, but uh, they
0: are—they—they uh, they did not make any major headway. I see. So is the thinking then that like the 12-team playoff is something that's going to happen, but now it's a question of just how fast it comes about. Correct.
1: Exactly. When? It, when is it going to happen? Right. Right. So. Um, I see. Uh, but, and they were, I didn't realize they were trying so aggressively to get it to 2024, but apparently that was, that was the hope, but that's starting to fade. They admit that
0: time is not on their side for that to happen. I see. Yeah. Well, we'll see, you know, I, I think, uh, obviously there's appetite for the 12 team playoff. And so if they're going to do it anyways, why not, you know, get to it sooner, um, I get that extra money rolling in and all that. Well, um, and that's, that's the logic, but you know, the, 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 conferences are, are working really hard to,
1: you know, leverage their little piece of the pie. Cause that, that kind of helps guarantee or sustain their existence a little bit.
0: Right. Right. That's true. Um, so talking about week seven of college football, it was an eventful weekend. I actually, um, I ended up going to a, a bar that was kind of cool here in L.A. and watching a lot of the games uh, there, including Nebraska's game, of course. Um, and uh, the big one, of course, that everybody was talking about was Alabama versus Tennessee, which was played at Tennessee. Um, and uh, we gave predictions for that particular game, uh, and I was on the side of uh, Tennessee. Uh, yes, you were. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Here we go. I said that uh, they were going to win 28-24, whereas you said that uh, Alabama was going to win 35-21. So neither of us were quite right in terms of the type of scores, because it ended up being uh, 52-49, a much higher scoring game. Uh, But I was pretty close on the margin of victory. Four points ended up being three points where uh, Tennessee pulled out the W.
1: Yes. And, uh, and like you say, the, the important thing is you pick Tennessee to win it. And I uh, espoused greatly about, you know, how I felt like Nick Saban would have his guys ready just because they had played poor, so poorly the week before. And um, um, usually he's able to inspire a, a dramatically improved performance the week after he has what he considers a substandard performance um, but he wasn't able to do that. Right. Like, uh, I mean, I didn't get to watch that game to see how it unfolded. Um, so I don't know if did, did one or the other of those teams have a considerable lead and then lose it as the game progressed, uh, you know, to late stages or was it pretty much back and forth the whole way?
0: Um, I mean, Tennessee, I'm pretty sure they had the lead, the majority of the game, um, okay. for sure. And, uh, uh, one interesting fact is that, um, when I gave that prediction on the last week's podcast, uh, it was still wasn't clear that Bryce young was going to be there for this Tennessee game. I think Saban right. had said that they were hoping for him to be there, but it wasn't sure. Right. Um, and so I thought, Oh, well, if there's a chance that Bryce young plays and he's not hundred percent or the backup plays who didn't do great the previous week, you know, that would enhance Tennessee's ability to, uh, uh, to win. Uh, but Bryce young did play and he played quite well. You know, there were, quite a few situations where Tennessee got in the backfield and Bryce young just ran around them and still found a way to throw a good pass, you know? Um, but what was the real story of the game was uh, the mistakes on uh, Alabama's part, especially penalties. Uh, they yep. had 17 penalties in that game and are now the worst bottom of the barrel in the FBS in terms of penalties. <laughs>
1: Wow, seventeen's a lot. That sounds very
0: Nebraska-like. Right. Well, and, and the, the, I think you were watching the part right where they had like five in a row, and it didn't matter yeah. too much because it was just backing them up another half yard, you know, uh, right against their own goal line. Um, but it was kind of a contagious thing, right? When one happened, it seemed like more would pile on.
1: Yep. Exactly. It was crazy.
0: Yeah. So that that was a really fun game to watch. And I thought that Tennessee had blown it because they like, uh, they had a, uh, a fumble, I think, right next to their own uh, goal line. Uh, so they basically gifted Alabama a free touchdown with that uh, turnover. Um, right. And I think that tied up. I think, no, no, I think it was tied. And then that gave Alabama the lead. Yeah. Um, And then they went and scored. They got the ball back. They scored pretty quickly. Alabama had a drive uh, and had to kick a, you know, decent field goal, like in the 30 to 40 yard range. And the guy missed it. Um, So it was still a tie game, but there was only like 30 seconds left. And I almost thought like, okay, Tennessee, you know, you kind of dodged a bullet there, you know, with the missed field goal, right? Maybe just run out the clock, go into overtime and, you know, try to win it there. But no, they, they were aggressive and they threw it a bunch and they completed those passes and got under range for like a long 50 yard field goal or something like that. Right. It
1: was like, it was like 40 something. Yeah.
0: It was 40 something. And it was actually uh, tipped like one of the Alabama players, like pinky finger got on the ball. And so it spun like a, wounded duck, you know, it was an ugly, uh, kick, but it went far enough and it made the field goal <laughs> and game over fans flood the field. They take the oh, goal yeah. posts out of the stadium and throw it in the river. <laughs> <laughs> it was a historic night there in Tennessee. Y- yeah, it,
1: it really was. Well, and speaking of historic, I think the other historic thing is going to be the, uh, the memes that we're going to get see uh from the uh the colossal meltdown uh, child uh, uh what a temper tantrum that that uh Nick Saban had after the muffed punt uh by Alabama during the game uh where he was jumping around like a uh like a child in the middle of a grocery store who was having a tantrum
0: <laughs> yeah i saw a lot of the There was one GIF where he was saying, uh, What the F are you doing? very clearly to one of his players. Right, uh, right. (laughs) On the sidelines. Uh, (laughs) So, yeah, you know, uh, my prediction came true. You know, this Alabama team clearly has talent. You know, obviously they still scored quite a bit on, you know, Tennessee. And, like I said, Tennessee team, yep. Bryce Young uh, uh, played pretty well. Um, but uh, but they're, you know, undisciplined, clearly. You know, you don't right. get 17 penalties, right, in a normal year.
1: Right. No, you're right. And they, yeah, they got some issues. There's no doubt about it. And um, But the thing is, is that, uh, you know, until they're completely out of it and, and are in a position where they cannot get to that conference championship game and they're not even close to the top four, so that even with the conference championship game plays you know uh, losses and wins and such that they don't find themselves uh back in the mix like they've done in previous years if if alabama is able to come in through the back door again and get that fourth spot somehow uh then that's the kind of shit that allows them to gel and and then the athleticism matures and wham bam all of a sudden they're winning a national championship and i don't want to see that i want to see them out and i want I want no part of that.
0: Right. Another game that we gave a prediction on in the Big 12 was Oklahoma State versus TCU. Um, uh, yes. We we had the similar scores, but just flipped. So I said that uh, Oklahoma State would win 38-31, and you said that TCU would win 38-31. Um, yes. And it was looking like it was going to be a pretty solid Oklahoma State victory. They had like a 17-point lead around the middle. Like a half- yeah, about halftime. Right, around halftime, like middle of the game. I uh, was looking in yep. their favor. And then TCU in the second half, uh, kind of managed to claw it back, you know, started getting their offense really going. And so I think they were able to uh to tie it up going overtime and then uh I think Oklahoma State turned it over, and so it was an easy uh, field goal kick for the win for TCU. So I saw Oklahoma State fans were saying that uh with this, their coach, who's been there for a long time, you know, been quite successful there. But I think their criticism of him is that he uh, puts his foot off the gas. You know, he goes too conservative, right? And uh, mm-hmm. and kind of lets teams get back into it when they shouldn't.
1: Uh, yes. Okay.
0: Well, I'll let him criticize him. Maybe he becomes uh, interested <laughs> in the Nebraska
1: job. <laughs> That's all for that. Um, well. he's a guy that I'm sure Trev probably had on his list to talk to, not even necessarily to talk to him about our job, but to just talk to him about what, what you need to be a good, you know, power five head coach. Cause that guy's been consistently successful for a long time. Right. He's not won a lot of championships or anything, but he's a darn good coach.
0: Yep. Uh, and then there was the Penn state Michigan game in the big 10, uh, I predicted that uh, Penn State would win mostly due to the fact that they had a bye week going into the game. Uh, so I thought that might give them uh, the spark they needed. So I predicted that they would win 24-21, whereas you pre- predicted that Michigan would win 31-24. Uh, however, it ended up being uh, quite the dominant win for Michigan of 41-17. to uh, I, mm-hmm. I started watching that game. Uh, and then I eventually kind of turned it off once I saw the score kind of ballooning. Cause uh, I think it was 17 to 17 at one point, and Penn state kind of was lucky to be tied oh, in the very, game because Michigan very had, lucky. had been dominating it. Yes.
1: Michigan was dominating the game. And the only reason that Penn state was in the game was because of a couple of two plays, two really big plays that basically put them in a position to, to score the, the, um, the 14 points and th- that's about all they did the whole game. So th- they weren't really able to put anything legitimate together against Michigan. Michigan looked r- really quite
0: dominant. Yeah. So I know that uh, your buddy, Brian Clower was nervous about that game because uh, it was the first real tough challenge for Michigan in their season so far, but clearly they passed the test with flying colors. So uh, they got to be feeling a little better down there in our Ar- in Arbor.
1: I think they, I think they are. And, you know, they've got a couple of interesting games. They've got the rivalry game with Michigan State coming up here in a couple of weeks. And I think they play Illinois at some point later in the season, which, you know, Illinois is emerging as one of the better teams on the West side. So we'll see how that all plays out. And obviously they have Ohio State at the end of the year. So...
0: Yeah. Speaking of which, uh, Illinois uh, played against Minnesota this past weekend. Of course, they're the team that Nebraska will be playing a next. So it's of note for us. Um, and they won uh, 26 to 14. Uh, however, I would say it was a game where Minnesota kind of lost it more than Illinois won it. Uh, Minnesota was minus three in turnovers um, and seven of their 14 points are scored off of a kickoff return, which... Uh, might show that, you know, Illinois has some vulnerabilities there, which we could take advantage of, uh, but their offense really wasn't able to get anything done. And when you're minus three in turnovers, you know, it's hard to win any game like that. Exactly. Yeah. Frankly, you don't deserve to win a
1: game that you're minus three in turnovers. And most coaches would would agree with that, right? Like you didn't play winning football if you were minus three in turnovers.
0: Exactly. And uh, another interesting game that happened this past week uh, was uh, Utah versus USC, uh, where uh, Utah, who was ranked 20th and USC ranked 7th, uh, Utah managed to pull out the upset of 43-42. Um, that was one I didn't watch live, uh, but uh, or I think I might have caught some of it live. But regardless, I watched the recap of the game to kind of refresh myself. And there were some interesting things that happened in it. Um there was a uh, roughing the passer call earlier on in the game uh, that went Utah's way uh, saying that, you know, a USC guy roughed the passer that basically gave them a uh, touchdown and foiled an interception because the quarterback threw an interception into the end zone uh, because they were close to scoring. So it would have been, you know, zero points for Utah, right? But then there's this roughing the passer call that gives them the automatic first down and then they score legitimately. Uh, But the call was totally bogus. Like it was not a real roughing the passer call. So USC really, uh, uh, or Utah really got a break on that one. Um, And I kind of feel like the coach may have kind of felt that Uh, momentum, you know, and the fact that they uh, were lucky to still be in the game because they had to make a late drive to score. Um, And when they made that score, they decided to go for two. So it was a a tie ball game and they went for two. So that was basically the game right there and they got it. Uh, So I always always admire a coach who kind of has the balls to go for that because that's a a tough one.
1: Well, it is a tough one and and it's against the book, right? The book the book, so to speak, tells you that you know, especially because I believe that was a home game, right, for them. Yes, um, that you you go for the tie and uh, go, you know go into overtime and you know take your uh, luck against uh, in overtime because you're the home team. Um, but uh, but I agree. Uh, I, I think oftentimes you need to assess the situation and 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 if you have a if you have a play that you really believe in and that. Uh, is either a counter off of something you've had success with within the game plan that you already have implemented or something, then y- you, know, you, you gotta, you gotta do it. Whereas if you're really struggling on offense and uh, you're like, man, this is as close as I'm going to get, that would be another reason to do it. Right? Like if I go in overtime, my chances are, are not very good that I'm going to be able to drive it down and score in the red zone because we are, you know, Oh, for four in the red zone or whatever. So, it just, I wish that coaches would take the circumstances of that particular game and not just make the decision based on the book, so to speak, so quickly.
0: Yeah. Um, I'm going to run through a couple of uh, other scores here that we can talk about. Um, Baylor played against West Virginia uh, and lost uh, 43 to 40. Uh, so, uh, they've kind of lost a couple games here uh, that they wouldn't have liked to. Uh, and I believe their uh, starting quarterback got hurt in that game as well. Yes. So I-, I couldn't help thinking like, well, maybe, you know, Baylor having a bit of a disappointing season by their recent standards, maybe that's uh, good for Nebraska going after Dave Aranda,
1: you know? If if they want to. But, you know, again, he's he's hurting his perceived value, right? because again he's he's a young head coach he really doesn't have that many years as a head coach he's got got quite a number of years as a defensive coordinator with great success in both the uh, big 10 and the sec and um and he has one really good year uh, in the big 12 uh, as a head coach but now he's like in his third or fourth year there and these are his players now most of the Players from the previous regime are, you know, graduated and gone. And he came into this season basically top 15 preseason ranking, uh, preseason uh, number one in the Big 12. Most people were picking them to win the Big 12. And now, you know, heck, looking at the rest of their schedule, they might struggle to get
0: the six wins. Could be, could be. Um, One interesting thing about the game, because I watched the recap of it, is that uh, because West Virginia won by three points. Right. Uh, And they had one of the rarest things you'll see in college football, which was a blocked PAT uh, taken back for a safety. Um, So right there, that's a three point difference. Right. Because Baylor missed on the one point they could have gotten. And West Virginia got two points off the safety, uh, which basically ends up being the three point difference that won West Virginia the game. Right. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. So yep. that was an interesting one. And then there was uh, one I know you watched, which was Michigan State versus Wisconsin. Uh, kind of an, oh, yeah. uh, an ugly game that went into double overtime where Michigan State managed to win 34 to 28.
1: Yes. And it was. Uh, it was just one of those games. Um, I,
0: I, uh, I, I can't even
1: accurately describe. What I was watching while I was watching it, uh, just in terms of, you know, both teams were having success, but then they wouldn't. Uh, And I guess that's all I can say is that they would find ways to not have the uh, the kind of, okay. this team's starting to get it going. And then something would happen the other team. It was just really hard to get a feel for the game. I'll just put it that way. Right. And um, and so when it went into overtime, I, I really thought Wisconsin would win it. Once they, even though I believe it was a home game for Michigan State, I thought Wisconsin kind of was going into the initial overtime uh, with a better in a better position to win the game based based on what I had witnessed. Uh, But then uh, uh, you know weird things happened, and eventually I think there was a turnover on like the first play of the second overtime. Um, um, So you know that team didn't get any points. So then the other team just had to effectively get at least three and then they would have won. But then they ended up getting seven, like on one of their, like their second play, they, they threw a touchdown pass. Right.
0: Yeah. That'll be interesting to see. Cause I know you mentioned that you were impressed by Wisconsin's performance the previous week. And of course they've got their new coach uh, mm-hmm. as well. Um, so you kind of thought that maybe they were turning the corner, um, but they lost to a Michigan state team. That's really struggled this year so far. Uh,
1: right. Right. And, and I, I just don't know
0: what that means for
1: Wisconsin. I feel like they, you know, they were starting to get their offense in sync and their offensive line is maybe getting a little better. And they obviously sports scored some points against Michigan state. And, and I don't know that Michigan state's defense is, is horrid or anything. So, uh, but you know, we'll just have to see how this all plays out with Wisconsin because uh, um, we obviously have them on our schedule. So, right. Uh,
0: um, and before we get into our predictions for the week eight games, I know uh, you wanted to talk just a bit about Nebraska's coaching search. Obviously, that's something that's kind of been going on in the background. And I kind of brought up the uh, the point about Dave Aranda, you know, potentially uh, being more available to Nebraska. Um, what are your observations from recent weeks? Well,
1: you know, the thing is, is that, that people keep, you know,
0: pounding some of the
1: same names. And every week, there's a a few new names that come on the list. And then every, every one of the guys that's on the, on the list that's been discussed, you know, people are observing their uh, weekly games. So an Aranda loss or Matt Campbell losing at Iowa state, uh, those kinds of things all of a sudden starts to change people's minds. And I, and I just feel like, you know what, all of this is just gobbledygook. It's just consuming people's time. And if, if I tried to take a step back and say, okay, you know, what is, what is, Uh, Trev Albers doing well uh, as soon as he you know knew that um, he was gonna let go of Scott and move on to another coach he had already been doing some preparations he's he's been having conversations most likely since just a few days after he took the job as athletic director a little over a year ago with the people that he does know within um, you know the sports uh, uh, administration uh, groups but he's also a former player, so he was reaching out to you know former players at Nebraska, former players that he played with, uh, at, you know, in, in in professional football, and um, and you know some of his broadcasting connections. I mean, he was probably talking with anybody any, anybody that that he thought might have some legitimate uh, expertise in what it takes to be a great head coach, right? And then he has his own opinion and. And I think, so I think there's just been a lot of investigating going on. And then he's really doing this with the assistance of a search team that, you know, they hired to help them with the the selection. And so they've got a criteria they're working on and they're probably working on a, on a group of, they probably started with 15 or 20 names and they've worked it down. And I would guess that at this point it's probably down to a top five. And now they've reached out to all five of those people directly or indirectly and they have a feel for you know both their own personal pecking order of what they which one of those guys they'd like to go after first second third and they also um probably know how warm those people are to the possibility of coming to nebraska so it really becomes one of those kind of matchup things right where okay this is our first choice but He's very lukewarm on even considering Nebraska because he likes the gig he's got, and so we'd have to really entice him to bring him along. And then the, it's you have the complicating factor of Mickey Joseph, right? We're we're giving Mickey an opportunity, so we're we're timing this process. So I think people just need to chill their wheels and understand that God's, or I mean that Trev is going to go through this process, and he's going to be ready when he's ready, and it might involve finding somebody uh, who is either already interested in having Mickey remain a member of the staff or is willing to uh, take that caveat, where there might be some other guys that are very high on Trev's list but have absolutely, n- under no circumstances, would they accept um, Mickey as part of their staff. You know, and and so, because I think in a perfect world, uh, best case scenario for for Trev would be that Mickey does well enough that people want Mickey to be the head coach a little bit, but not so well that, that, that there's big pressure for him to make Mickey the head coach so that you could maybe say, okay, Mickey's going to stick around and, and maybe our, 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 our
0: um, um,
1: Bush, Billy Bush, those two guys stick around with the new head coach.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, w- when we've talked about that before as a possibility, um, one thing that we had said was that this stretch of four games right here in the middle of the season was very key to whether Mickey would uh, potentially uh, remain as the head coach. Um, and we I had, would agree. And we had said that uh, three and one uh, would be uh, very good, you know, and kind of like the, the passing grade that he needs, whereas uh, two and two, eh, probably more mixed bag, maybe not Mickey. Um, And so right now we're two and one, right? We lost here to Purdue, but you know, in a competitive way, we didn't get blown out. Um, Right. So this next game against Illinois, I think is really key to uh, where Trev lands on that. Right. You know, I I would agree. I would agree. And, and uh, cause I know he,
1: he knows he will get greatly criticized if he chooses to hire Mickey by a certain portion of both the Nebraska support network of, of, Supporters, but also nationally, because it's going to be like, well, this is just like, you know, Helton out at USC and other examples where, you know, the popular
0: uh, uh, Ed or- uh, assistant
1: become at yeah, Orgeron. Yeah. Right. You know, people like that. Uh, and, and how often does that really translate to great success? Like Dabo Sweeney. Right. So, um, um, but, you know, it's not that simple, right? There are, there's some dynamics there. That, that, that are at play. And, uh, and so I think the easiest path for, for Trev might not be the one that he gets, but the easiest path would be for Mickey to maybe win a couple more games, end up five and seven, not quite good enough to get to a bowl game, not quite good enough to have all the fans clamoring for Mickey to, to be the next head coach, but enough success that whoever Trev does choose will see the value in keeping a guy like Mickey around, right? And, and maybe Billy Bush is t- tied to that as well, depending on what the defense does the rest of the year. Um, so that, because those are two coaches that, number one, understand Nebraska, number two, have a history of, of outstanding recruiting performance and, and are showing uh, themselves to be at least pretty good coaches, if not really good coaches, right? H- hard to tell in such a short period of time, but, but I feel like Bill Bush particularly has taken a defense that was uh, uh, just in shambles and has made it uh, into a defense that while still not great is playing with great zest and, and, and hard for four quarters. And he is scheming it and, um, and calling it in such a way that he's, giving them, he's putting them in a position to succeed. Right. Even if they don't execute. But, but, uh, so to me, that's a big deal. And I would love to see those two guys hang around, uh, on a, on a future staff with say a Dave Aranda as a coach or a, uh Matt rule, um, uh, you know, or whoever they might end up with. Yeah. There's a lot of conversation out there about Lane
0: Kiffin. Okay, well, I was going to mention, because uh, we, we, talk, we talked about Matt Rule on the previous podcast, and it's since yeah. come out in a statement from somebody who knows him or whatever that uh, there's very few college uh, positions he'd be interested in, none of which are open right, right now, was basically the statement. Right. So yep. uh, I don't think any Nebraska fans should be crossing their fingers for him.
1: I agree. I agree. And uh, and if I'm him, and I, I've got basically two to three years of eight million dollars a year, guaranteed, uh, because of the contract I signed. You know why would I be in a hurry? I, I'd be f- far better off waiting until that one of those select jobs came available, and then I make them aware I'm interested. That doesn't mean he's going to get it, but he, he has the luxury of time to do that while going and do and rehabbing his reputation a little bit by you know hanging out with a bunch of people who know the fo- know the sport. So.
0: Yeah. Talking about, uh, week eight of college football, which is coming up here. Um, probably the, the, maybe the biggest game, uh, and the one we'll be predicting today is in the PAC 12 with UCLA against Oregon. Uh, it is at home for Oregon. And obviously they had the embarrassing loss to Ohio state at the beginning of their season. Uh, but since then they've done much better, uh, while UCLA is having their best season in a long time, uh, beat USC. Right. Um, Or, well, I'm sorry, they haven't played USC yet, but, um, you know, they're, they're doing well. Yes, exactly. Um, so I guess the question is, um, do you think, you know, this momentum that UCLA is on can, uh, propel them to beat a talented Oregon team, uh, or is Oregon's talent and home field advantage too much, you think?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, and, um... You know, I don't know. Uh, I I'm not a huge fan of either one of these coaches, but they're both doing a good job this year. A um, Chip obviously has the uh, a great reputation as a brilliant mind and all that, and then the guy up there in the, in uh, Oregon is is a brilliant recruiter. Um, so, um, but I, has less um, reputation, let's say, as a great coach, you know, game preparator preparer. Um um so but it's at home and that Oregon home field is pretty significant, right? right? So uh I'm gonna say I'm gonna say uh Oregon. Oregon wins this one because they're at home and that home field matters in this particular uh situation even though I think uh Chip is the better coach. Okay. Well, what's your score then? Gosh, um, both of these guys are scoring some points, although um, UCLA's defense is, has been maybe better than you know, recent years, right? So I'm going to still say because of the environment and everything like that, that there's going to be some uh, big plays after some feeling out time. It's going to start slow but it's going to end with a bang. So it's going to end up being like a 35, 31
0: Oregon. Okay. Interesting. Uh, So I just uh, Googled UCLA here. Um, So the, the big one I was thinking of was Utah. So the Utah team that just uh, beat USC here, uh, they beat Utah uh, 42, 32. Um, And that was on October 8th. So they've had a bye week. Uh, So they've had extra time here to prepare for this Oregon game. Um, and as I mentioned, um, uh, UCLA, I feel like they've got great momentum because, you know, they're having this unusually good season, right? Whereas for Oregon, um, you know, there, there's more expectations on them. Uh, now I've just clicked on Oregon and, um, they also had a bye week. So I guess the bye week goes both ways. So both teams have had time to prepare, which, Uh, may favor Chip Kelly, right? Like you mentioned, if we think that he is the better game day coach and we know he loves his, you know, complex offensive schemes and stuff, right? If he's had two weeks to prepare for this particular game, I think he might uh, throw some surprises Oregon's way. So uh, I'm going to predict that it'll be a close game, uh, but that UCLA will pull out uh, the win uh, away. Um, And it'll be a high scoring game, typical of the Pac-12 uh, so I'm going to say it'll be uh, UCLA uh, 45 to Oregon score of uh, 38. 45 to 38. Wow. Yep. I'm going to go with that. All right. Uh, and then in terms of other games in week eight, one um, I'm, I'm kind of interested in is Clemson versus Syracuse. Um, it's at home for Clemson. Uh, and they just played against Florida state last week. And won uh, 34 28. Um, Florida State kind of uh, made a push late, you know, to make the game closer. Because I think Clemson had like a 21 point lead at one point, like they were really controlling the game for the majority. Um, So I don't think, you know, I think Florida State had to go for the onside kick, you know, and then didn't get it. It was one of those situations. So uh, Clemson controlled the game, but you know, let off the gas enough to nearly let Florida state come back into it. Right. Uh, Whereas Syracuse just upset, uh, NC state, uh, 24 to nine. Um, so they've clearly got some talent. So I predict that Clemson's going to win that game, but I think Syracuse, uh, could make it close.
1: I agree. So what is the score?
0: I will go ahead and say, um, I'll say that, uh, it's a bit lower scoring, uh, and that Clemson's able to win, 28 to 21. All right, that's good. Now,
1: see, I don't know that much about Syracuse. I have to admit, I, I haven't followed them enough, you know. And so, I'm, I, I, it's probably recency bias uh, with uh, the success that Clemson has had. So, I am going to go with uh, Clemson winning, and um, and I'm going to say that it's going to be. a pretty comfortable win for Clemson.
0: All right. Fair enough. Very cool. So, yeah, there's a couple other games here that we won't predict, um, such as uh, Texas playing against Oklahoma State, uh, Alabama playing against Mississippi State, and TCU playing against Kansas State. Um, So some kind of interesting uh, matchups from teams that either won or lost big uh, the previous week, you know, kind of seeing how they – bounce back and react to that
1: right well i'm curious about i believe penn state plays ohio state in the big 10 this week and uh no Uh,
0: no they, they play penn state plays minnesota
1: oh okay it must be the following week that's the penn state ohio state game then okay okay penn state plays minnesota well, that'll be interesting.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh. Yeah. Be Minnesota. I'll I'll have my eye on. Minnesota coming off the loss to Illinois, Penn State coming off the loss to Michigan, so uh Yeah. Neither of them with great momentum, but I I it's at home for Penn State. So I feel pretty good that they'll they'll win that solidly.
1: Well, and if they do, um, you know, that that really puts Minnesota's, you know, season um you know, in a downward spiral, then, because there, there's a series of games there that, you know, they uh, have lost. And so all the momentum from early in this season when they were winning all those games is going to be gone. Uh, so, not that that hurts my feelings.
0: <laughs> nope. Nope. Well, it gives me a little bit more confidence going into our game against them later in the season. So,
1: yeah, maybe so. Because that's at home. That's a home game for us, if I remember correctly. We play Minnesota at home. Right.
0: So. all right well it's a bye week for nebraska but we'll still have plenty to enjoy about this uh weekend of college football i'll actually be doing a lot at a film festival this weekend um oh. so i won't really be able to watch many of the games but we'll see how it goes
1: yeah all righty yeah
0: well enjoy your weekend and uh
1: what you got going on and we're gonna do the same here as we as we do our little wandering travel uh, uh, from, uh, our, uh, our summer home in Michigan to, uh, to our ultimate destination down in Florida.
0: <laughs> you say summer home in Michigan as if you guys have some palatial estate up there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we scary. do. <laughs> it's called an RV. <laughs> there you go. All right. It's, it's a beautiful one though that that's all right. it is nice it is nice all right uh so if you, right, if you out there enjoyed listening to us you can email us at Pete 13 at gmail.com you can also find us if you search for college football throwdown on apple Podcasts or spotify you can leave us ratings or reviews there we always love hearing from the fans read any comments we get out on the air so thank you all for listening and thank you dad for joining me for this episode and until next time go big red go big red